Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome. You are listening to an episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. This would actually be episode number 154 of our program. And we're recording it live tonight on September 14th, 2015. And with me, as always, well, not as always, but as always recently, is Pete, VE2XPL. Hello, Pete. Up our uh, bonjour, <laughs> bonjour, monsieur. I was about to say goodbye because au revoir actually rolls off the tongue more than bonjour. But anyway, hi. Je ne suis pas un robot. Exactly. Yes, pre- precisely. <laughs> and the laughter coming from across from me is Cheryl. So. Hello, everyone. This is going to be a little bit different episode from the episodes we've been doing lately. There's a little bit more philosophy involved in tonight's episode. If you uh, weren't listening to the live version, you didn't get to hear that. Yeah, you missed all that. So, In a sort of tongue-in-cheek way that John Cleese wrote that article, I wrote, I rewrote an article I read about uh, ham radio and the Pope. So somebody want to read this the way I wrote it and see if they can pull it off? Or maybe we could read it the way we are going to rewrite it. Okay. Well, whoever, go ahead, Pete. Knock yourself out, Pete. <laughs> I'll read it. You put it so much effort. I'll just do it the way it is. <laughs> okay. What it takes to get hams on the air. How about a visit from the Pope? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the story wasn't, wasn't written that way originally. But I thought... <laughs> the Pope is scheduled to visit the U.S. from September 22nd through September 27th. While here, several clubs in the U.S. will be operating special event stations. Well, that's cool, as they should. The various call signs include K2P, K3P, N4P, W3FRC slash WMF, W3P and WM3PEN. Several Eastern U.S. ham radio clubs are involved in operating these stations. So if you want a QSL card indicating you spoke to the Pope, you can't get one. You cannot. But if you want one that commemorates the event, that should be much easier to come by. There's a Facebook page about the event. You can find it in the show notes. Uh, It says here in the Etherpad. And I'm going to go to said page and I'm not signed in, so I can't go. (laughs) But... The Pope's not going to be operating these stations, is he? No, he's not. Okay. Uh, Yeah, these are just commemorative stations, apparently, um, from the cities, I guess, that he's planning to visit, or at least some of the cities that he's planning to visit while here. If you want a special event QSL, they can be obtained, and the uh, link to the Facebook is there in the chat room and in the show notes, et cetera, et cetera. Or you could just... uh... Or you could just Google for it. Moving on. I found this, which was kind of an interesting thing. We have talked about the RTL-SDR project and some of the cheap SDR dongles on this show, but this was kind of interesting because there is a blog post I found from Sierra 55 Mike Alpha that describes how to decode APRS packets using an SDR dongle. I'm not actually going to like go through the whole thing. This this was done on Windows, and I'm not sure it's available for any other platform. So if that you know totally puts you off to this project, then you're obviously not going to try it. But if you do happen to have a Windows uh, computer up and running, you could try this thing. It's called SD Sharp, and you can get it at SDR Sharp, SDRSharp.com. It's a download. And then you have to have a one of the RTL SDR compatible uh, SDRs. You link it together, and this thing goes through the step-by-step uh, process of installing all the software on Linux, configuring it properly for your, your bit of hardware. And then once you have it done, you can actually see um, a waterfall uh, for your... uh, This is showing a VHF uh, communication that it's listening to uh, on the SDR. It gives you a really nice-looking interface, and it can actually decode APRS packets using an RTL SDR, which is uh, something that I have not actually heard about anyone trying to do before. And I don't know if there is any real reason to do this, but it does go to show some of the power of the SDR receivers that are out there, 
particularly these super cheap ones because I think I bought mine for like 12 bucks or something. But they're so broadbanded because some of these go from like uh, 30 kilohertz all the way up into the satellite, or not satellite, but into the microwave ranges, you know, 2.53 gigahertz. They can do almost anything. And this is kind of a different take on what you can do with these. So if, um, you know, you want to track APRS, but you don't actually have any other way to do it, this might be something you can do. Uh, and like I said, as far as I can tell from this article, it's Windows only, the software. Uh, but that doesn't mean that this won't lead to a Linux port or another application being developed for Linux that does the same thing. But it's kind of cool since the RTLSDR project is out there. And of course, uh, Linux supports that as well. For other purposes, there's no saying that this can come up later on. So a different take, something to play with, I guess, if you're into the tinkering, which many of us are. And let's see, have you looked up what the average price of this dongle is, just by curiosity? Um, should I Google what, it? You can Google it, but when I've looked for the average price of these dongles, they're usually less than 20 bucks, 20 bucks US. So whatever that translates to wherever you are. 178.35. Uh, <laughs> I don't think our dollar is quite that strong. but <laughs> Yeah, see, I, I have one here for like 1150 1150 11.50? Yeah. 11.50. Yeah, you can certainly buy them for so, less than 20 bucks. No, yeah, no question. That's, good. that's a, a reasonable investment for playing around. Yes. And there's lots of software out there for Linux. We've talked about a couple of packages in the past, but there's way more out there than we've talked about. And of course, we'll get to it at some point. These things can listen to almost anything. You can do WeFax with them. You can listen to satellites with them. You know, if you have a decent enough an- uh, antenna, they're HF, VHF, UHF, microwave. They'll They'll do almost anything. So now that we're done talking about SDR dongles and receiving APRS packets, you can do the next one. Okay. Okay. Route 66 special event by SMARC brings Bob Heil to Springfield. The Southwest Missouri Amateur Radio Club gathered at Route 66 Roadside Park Saturday, September 12th, as did clubs in dozens of other cities along Route 66. Thousands of amateur radio operators looked to contact them as part of a Route 66 on-the-air event. Bob Heil, a Missouri native, was on hand for the event, and I'd like to add he lives about 15 miles from Springfield. Uh, he and other hams who participated in the event touted ham radio's efficiency during an emergency and the renewed interest in ham radio in general. He also mentioned NASA and the astronauts being licensed hams. Local TV news story could serve an impetus for more local people to join the hobby. And that was on... Um, they pretty much only made it to the show because it was a local story, but right. you know, that's pretty cool. And I'm kind of disappointed that we missed out on the fact that Bob Heil was here and we could have just said, hey, how you doing? But I talked to him in email fairly often, you know. Well, good. Invite him to dinner. He actually said if we want to go to dinner in Springfield sometime, we'll let him know. Well, then why haven't we done that yet? Well, he doesn't like sushi. I do know that. Well, I'm pretty sure we can find said. another option. Well, between Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we invite him for an interview? Well, we, we should, should. Yeah, we should. Def- I, I thought we were going to do that. Somehow we haven't gotten around to it. Is that so. my job now? You're the one who says yeah, you talk, talk to, to him, him all him the time. So they, You're they, the one who's trying to get a date with him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So offer him a McDonald's cheeseburger and tell him he can be on the show. I'd have to t- <laughs> deliver it to plus of hope. <laughs> burger and an interview. That's right. And we'll pay for the burger, too. It's a buck wow. 19. Wow. Well, yeah. you're so generous. <laughs> All right. Anyway, well, that was pretty cool. We were unfortunately unable to participate in that because we were busy this weekend. We will uh, see if we can get in contact with Bob Heil and have him come on the show because that would be very cool. It was nice to have a local story where the local club is uh, getting people interested in ham radio, getting them on the air and uh, being a part of the Route 66 on the air event that uh, I'm sure contacted many people probably around the world. I did see this kind of a different article. This is actually in our open source section because that's actually where it belongs. But I I found this on Slashdot, and I thought it was really interesting. I'm not going to go through the entire article because it is a fairly good-sized article. Uh, But the title of it is, What is Open Source Pharma and Why Should You Care? And pharma refers to pharmacology. And it's about drug companies and a new initiative to uh, create a network of pharmaceutical research that's based on an open source platform and i put this in here because i think it is interesting to note 
that the open source philosophy carries over from just software into pretty much every aspect of life. I mean, we've talked about open source hardware in the past, and that is, you know, people getting together and collaborating on actual physical hardware devices and creating some great stuff out there. The Raspberry Pi is an example of an open source hardware platform. Same was the with the Arduino and, and other similar projects. This is the this is the idea that people are going to collaborate about pharmaceutical research, and then they're going to publish an open database of pharmaceutical research. This goes into some of the the reasons why that is a good thing. Because, well, let me read just a little bit of it here. It says a major reason that this system has evolved is because of the enormous cost of clinical trials and the low success rate of promising drugs once they are entered into that process. The result is that big pharmas are constantly in search of the next blockbuster drug and loathe to lose their monopoly control over one until all options have been exhausted. At the same time, there are many hundreds of promising discoveries that never go anywhere. Perhaps the discoverer is a startup that acquired before it gets to clinical trials, and so on and so forth. There are also existing drugs that can be highly efficacious for other disease conditions. Doctors are frequently surprised when a patient makes a miraculous recovery, with the only identifiable change in their regimen being a prescription for an unrelated drug for a different malady. They also talk about pernicious effects, companies that are developing drugs like simultaneously without knowing that the other is doing it. So if one company hits a developmental dead end, the other company doesn't know about it. So they're funneling money into a project that never goes anywhere when they could be focusing on something else. There are just so many reasons why having open collaboration among drug companies would be such a beneficial thing. But they're loath to do that because of, you know, profit margins and all that kind of thing. But this is really cool. And they're setting up this database. And the article is very interesting. Health affects all of us, of course. And I stuck this in there because I do believe that the idea of open source or the concept of sharing knowledge extends to all walks of life, not just software development. I think that's sort of the way forward for probably most things. And I think if we're going to continue as a species even, that this kind of open collaboration needs to be promulgated for sure. I think that uh, you're onto something. However, in reality... I don't think it's ever going to happen, maybe on a small scale. I mean, working in a hospital, I see it all the time. They, they talk the talk. They speak of collaboration and how sharing knowledge, yada, 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 is the best way. And to a certain extent, it does happen. But when it comes to pharmaceutical companies, like you say, because of all the money that goes into R&D and then the potential money they can get back from uh, medication, various drugs – they don't want to share that. It's all a matter of economics. And at the end of the article, I mean, the one person who's involved in the project uh, who grew up in Western Uganda uh, says it best that uh, his uh, father and sibling died of, of very uh, easily treated diseases, measles and AIDS, which is, you know, easily treated now, uh, not because the drugs weren't available, but because it wasn't accessible because it was too expensive for them. If you want to get into an ethical debate, Technically, it should be that if these drugs exist and we could save lives, they should just be administered to people. Why is it only people who can afford it? No, absolutely. I think there's a lot of ways to look at this, and the article does go into much more detail about the pros and cons of both approaches to, to pharmaceuticals. So if you're interested in that, uh, there's a lot of information at www.consortiuminfo.org, and a link specifically to the story will be in the show notes. So. Uh, check that out. I thought it, I thought it was very interesting and kind of kind of a different take, but definitely related to open source. All right. So this next thing that I want to talk about is the sort of philosophical arguments that I was bringing up early on in the show, and this is related to something we're going to talk about in the next segment. But I'm glad Pete is here, and I'm glad Cheryl is here, so we can all contribute on this. And for those of you who are listening live and who are in the chat room, if you want to jump in on any of these topics, feel free to do that. We will definitely throw your thoughts into the mix. Just remember there are a few seconds behind us. No, I understand that. Okay. So basically what I have here is a list of comparisons to be put forward between Linux and other operating systems, whether it be Windows or OS X or anything else you can think of. When we approach the topic of Linux... Those of us who like it have our reasons for liking it. Those of us who like Windows have our reasons for liking it. Some people like both. Some people are very staunch defenders of one or the other. 
So what I wanted to do is run down this list kind of quickly if we can and look at each piece of the operating system and decide what is better about one thing and what is worse about one thing on either side. It doesn't matter if you are a Linux supporter or not a Linux supporter. What do you see as being the benefit of be- of one side of the aisle or the benefit of the other side of the aisle? Because some of these things may be better in Windows than they are in Linux or vice versa. So I kind of broke it down into several different categories of how you use an operating system as a general user. And the first thing would be the installer part. Every operating system has an installation procedure. So when you look at the installation procedure of, for example, Linux versus macOS versus Windows, I'm kind of throwing this out as a, which one do you see as better and why do you see it as better? Now for me, I look at what I have to do to install Linux on a machine as opposed to what I have to do to install Windows on a machine as opposed to what I have to do to install macOS on a machine. macOS is probably the simplest to install because it's basically throwing a disk into a computer and it installs and it's done. But you have no transparency into anything that happened whatsoever. Windows gives you a little bit more flexibility in that there are some options to configure, but the installers generally take a really, really, really long time to complete, and you have no, again, transparency into the process. Now, Linux installers, you have much more control about your installation procedure. It does give you some insight into what is actually going on during the installation process, and it is quicker in general, depending on your hardware specs. I would say that if you're comparing apples to apples in hardware specs, that your Linux installer will always be faster. From the point of view of the installer, that Linux would get the A grade, Windows would get the B grade, and macOS would get the C grade. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, Linux, you can install a whole system within minutes compared to um, any PC um any Windows PC that I've ever worked on. I don't really have a lot of experience. I've worked with Macs. I've never installed any OS, so I couldn't speak to that, however. But definitely, I mean, that's the beauty of of Linux. Even with some of the heavier kind of mint-type installations, 20 minutes and you're done. Uh, Install Windows and you're there for three hours. Only three. <laughs> well, yeah, if there, everything there, goes well. Right. Yeah. There's there's chicken. been times that my Windows installations have taken 8 hours. So Right. It, yeah, sometimes it can take a very long time. Uh from the chat room we have uh Symbola who says Linux is the most versatile installer. Windows and Mac is the same every time unlike Linux. And I would say that that's mostly true. I would say it's especially true in macOS that your macOS install is going to be the same experience every time you run it. Windows, maybe nine times out of ten will be exactly the same unless you get one of those times when you blue screen in the middle of the install and you have to start the whole thing over again, and that does happen. And Linux is probably the most varied install, but it's certainly the clearest, the most transparent to the user. Symbolo just said seven, Windows 7, 8, and 10. Install fairly, fairly quickly. quickly. Right. Um, I've, I've installed 7, 8, and 10, and I would say the fastest is definitely 7. 8 and 10 tend to be very dodgy when they install, and I have limited experience with Windows 10, but it is not an improvement in my view. But anyway, and he also says 3 hours is bullshit, which, yeah, the next area that I looked at for comparison is the desktop environment or the window manager environment that you're using for your system. Now, the way I look at it is this. The, the Mac OS environment, Windows or desktop environment for Mac OS is probably the most cohesive. And I'd say if you started with Mac OS, it is clearly the easiest to use. You know, the universal menu bar and some, and the way that, that Mac OS puts its desktop experience together is nice because it is the same across basically all Apple platforms. So if you stick with Apple, you're probably very happy with what you're seeing. Windows tends to be all over the map because what they do is they seem to come, they they have a design philosophy, they implement it, then they see what everybody else is doing and try and retrofit all of what everybody else is doing into their OS as far as the desktop experience, which tends to go very badly, and then the next version they fix everything, but they're already a year behind everyone else. Linux tends to be more bleeding edge, but it's also super customizable, which means you can get whatever experience you're looking for. You just have to work at it a little harder. 
So I'd say from a UI perspective that macOS actually comes out on top um, because it is consistent across all platforms. And if you're using an Apple product and running macOS, you know exactly what you're going to get. Linux gets the B grade for not being quite as easy to use, but being as compatible as possible with whatever mindset you're in as far as how you want your desktop environment to look. And Windows gets the C grade again for being basically one step behind everyone else always. Yeah, but the thing is, you said that if you've you've been born and raised with Mac, you're okay. Personally, I have not. So when I sit down at one of your Mac computers, I am completely freaking lost. So that's not, it, you know, it takes me 20 or 30 minutes to figure out what in the world I'm doing. Once I figure it out, I'm okay. Right. But so that's that's not real good. Well, that's a point taken, but I would also say that macOS presents an intuitive interface so that even if you don't know what you're doing, it doesn't take very long to figure out what you're doing. Well, and no, the, that, that is very true. That, again, is also puts them, I think, a little bit above. And there are some actual Linux desktop environments that try to emulate the macOS desktop environment, which is an interesting thing. But some people don't like the way macOS looks and works, and then you know they're going to say, "Well, that doesn't really that doesn't really follow." But I think for the for the o- overall intuitiveness and for the consistency factor, I still say macOS wins out in that in that area. MacOS tends to be uh, consistent. I mean, it all has to do with what you're used to as well. Uh, Windows is all over the place. Uh, Linux, you usually have the choice of choosing what your desktop environment is going to look like if you have a little bit of experience. If you don't, well, then you'll be lost and you'll have to get used to it like anything else. Windows is just all over the place. It's like, new version, let's just throw everything wherever we want and screw everybody up. <laughs> right. <laughs> They'll figure yeah. it out eventually. Yeah. yeah, what I would say is install Windows XP, Windows 7, Windows 8, and Windows 10, and then try and find the control panel in all four of those. <laughs> I just went up to Windows 10 and it took me a while to find the Windows, like the control panel, and I'm like, oh my God, it was driving me nuts. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, they they put it where they think it's intuitive, but it's completely in a different place that everybody's already learned, so they have well, to go it, le- learn it, it all over again. It's always intuitive to the guy who programs it. He's the one who put it there. Right. Well, right, right. yeah. From the chat room, Symbol is talking about his favorites uh, for each platform. He says he has no Mac experience, but for Windows, he likes Windows 7, which is actually still my favorite as well. And for the Linux desktop, GNOME 2 is his favorite. I actually am sort of torn between GNOME 2 and GNOME 3. I actually really like both of them, um, but they are very different experiences. So. And his second favorite desktop is Unity. Yeah, well, I don't know. We can't all be, you know, can't all have the right <laughs> opinion. But <laughs> Kleewick says uh, he's been using a Mac since uh, Mac 128K, but his big beef now is the SDR implementations are not very good. Uh, um, he's playing with soft rock and it's forcing him to use windows as Linux tools are almost as weak as OS X. Well, that's an interesting take. Um, my impression of the SDR tools for Linux is that they're pretty robust. So maybe he just hasn't found the right thing, but there's a vote for windows. So they're very cool. The next thing that I picked as a comparison topic is finding software, finding software between the different, uh, operating systems. Like if you are looking for software for a Mac or looking for software for windows or looking for software for Linux, how hard or easy is it to find? I give Linux the A grade. I believe it's much easier to find software for Linux basically because each distribution provides you with a package manager and usually a search tool. So you don't even have to go outside the realm of the operating system to find software. This playfield is a bit leveled by Google because you can pretty much Google for anything for any platform you want and, and find what you want. But for centralizing repositories and giving you easy access to software, I think Linux gets the A grade. In this realm, Windows and macOS are probably tied for the B grade because they're pretty much exactly the same. If you want to download software for for Windows or macOS, you pretty much have to go to a site that is a repository for those and then do searching there, you know, like the two co- the two cows and the softpedias and, and so on and so forth. Now, Mac does have the App Store and Windows, of course, with, the, with version 8 and version 10 has its own App Store as well. Uh, so again, they're playing catch up to the whole app store thing and those will probably, probably get better over time. And, uh, the accessibility of software will probably be an even playing field, but I think Linux comes out just a little bit ahead of the other two, which are tied for second place right now. Yeah. Uh, Linux package managers are easy. 
I've never really had a problem with anything Windows based because um, you can kind of choose the uh, do it for me option, which you know kind of makes it easy for Mr. and Mrs. Everybody who doesn't have a lot of uh, uh, experience, which is fine. Uh, or you can choose to uh, go a little bit more in depth, which is good too. Um, OS, I don't have any experience installing software, so can't speak to that. And in the chat room, Symbol has uh, given us a link to OneGet, which apparently is a Linux-style package manager for Windows 10. So apparently they are, like I said, they're catching up. They're, they're coming up to where Linux is, and I do believe that the uh, software sort of app store universe will be even across all playing for, uh, fields at some point, but not quite yet. So the next one would be general use and ease of use. And we kind of touched on this a bit before, but basically if you had three computers next to each other and you put someone down who had no computer experience whatsoever in front of a Linux machine, a Windows machine, and a Mac OS machine, which one would be the easiest to use? If you basically told them that, you know, you point and click with the mouse and you type with the keyboard, you know, go to it, which one would come out ahead? I think because of the variedness of the Linux world, Linux would probably do worst in this category um, just because there are so many different ways to present Linux to a user. There could be a very easy way, an easy representation, or there could be a very hard one. It all depends on what, you, what you're what you sitting in front of. Since the Windows and the Mac OS environments are usually pretty consistent across platforms, those will probably come out ahead. I think for the most intuitive, because and and only for the reason that if you happen to be walking by someone who's using a computer, even if you yourself have never used a computer, you're more likely to have seen Windows and seen someone operating Windows, which would clue you into how you might use it as opposed to someone who's using macOS. I think they would probably be even together, except for the fact that Windows is much more prevalent. Therefore, it would be easier for someone to intuit just because even from their peripheral vision, they might have seen it. So in this, I would actually give Windows the A grade, Mac OS the B grade, and Linux the C grade. You said earlier, if somebody sat down, if, if Mac was their only operating system, they would be fine with it. And I honestly think that it would hold true if you had never, ever sat down at a computer before and somebody sat you down at a Windows machine or a Mac machine or a Linux machine. I honestly think that they would be okay with that. Now, granted, if you stand that person up and march them to a different Linux machine that's got things set up differently, then yeah, it could be very ugly. Right. But, right. I think, but it's, it holds it holds true with Windows too. Depending on which, whether it's Windows, you know, ninety eight or two thousand or seven or eight or ten or whatever, each one's different. So. Each, each one is different for, but this is this is not getting into configuring the computer or doing anything fancy with it. This is just like getting in there, powering it up, and like opening up a web browser. I think this is where Linux's diversity it's it's not really to its detriment, but it makes it because if you show, I mean, even if you're customizing Windows or Mac OS, they still look basically the same. If right. you if you're customizing Linux, you can make it look so completely different from the machine sitting next to it that somebody might have even me who knows Linux up inside and out might have no idea what I was looking at. Right. Because it's just that customizable. Whereas even if you change the themes or even if you change like the location of the start bar or something in a Windows machine, you still basically are presented with the same basic UI. From a strict ease of use perspective, that's how I see it. It depends on who you are, what you're used to, where you come from. Are you the 15-year-old who grew up with a computer or are you the 98-year-old grandmother who's looking at one for the first time? I mean, it's it's all over the place. It really depends on who you are. And, and from the perspective of an alien captured you at birth and is dropping you on the planet right now and you're discovering computers or, you know. I think that's how he's. I, that was more yeah. or less the way I was looking at it, yes. Yeah. Basically, as a human who had been inter who had interacted with other humans, but had not had not had direct computer interaction. So your elderly parent that had never owned a computer before, or whatever. Right. Well, then it doesn't really matter what they use; they're going to be lost. Well, right. No, and it, that's exactly it. <laughs> no, that's that's probably entirely true. Know, but which one do you think it, it, it would be less lost at? I guess it depends on which one you set them down at. I still contend that. Well, no, if you I teach them to use does, Windows, it'll be okay. Them, they're a blank slate, and you're presenting them with three computers. They have to learn them all from scratch. So does it matter? No, I don't think so. Okay, so you think it's basically an even playing field. 
which is cool. I mean, well, uh, yeah, yeah, because it, it, if somebody's tech savvy, although they've never touched a computer, they'll pick it up somehow. If they know nothing, then they have to learn everything from scratch. So if you know nothing and you have to learn it from scratch, it doesn't matter what you learn. You'll learn it and you'll be at ease with it once you know it. Yeah, see, I agree okay. with Pete. So. Okay. No, that's perfectly fine. I think Symbol in the chat room actually said basically the same thing. He said, uh, the Internet has taken ease of use to an OS independent level. 90% of the stuff he does on the desktop is OS independent, and that, I believe that's probably pretty true. Uh, same with tablets and other mobile devices. All right, so moving on from that, let's talk about online experience, specifically browsing the web. I mean, which one would come out the same, and it's probably, or which one would come out on top, I guess? Considering that most browser platforms are actually cross-platform and you can use them anywhere you want to, I would say this is truly a level playing field. I would say the online experience for any of the OSs would be pretty much the same. <laughs> if you pick one specific technology, and I will pick one, Silverlight. And I you say, yes, and, and there's, there's reason to hate that. But from a purely compatibility perspective, if you happen to find a site that you want to use that uses Silverlight, yes, your Windows experience is going to be the best one. But that speaks to a compatibility issue that is going to come up in the next segment. So let's not really talk about that. But that is an interesting take that if you're using a Windows browser that has more support for codecs that are written for Windows, then yes, you're going to have a browser, better browser experience. But if you're talking about the general web, I think it's pretty much an even playing field. So uh, the next couple of things I wanted to talk about were uh, network configuration and peripheral configuration, which is something that most people who use a computer will probably have to do at some point, uh, especially network configuration. So I looked at configuring the network on a Windows machine, configuring the network on a macOS machine, and configuring the network on a Linux machine, put them against each other, and kind of went, like, which one is the most intuitive to set up. And what I came up with is I believe Linux is the most intuitive because it presents you the options you need in a very direct way. And as long as you know the minimum you need to know about networking in order to configure it, you probably come out ahead. macOS would be second best because it's not quite as intuitive the way they have it set up but the configuration is always set up in the system options area of mac os so you always know where to find it even if the presentation of setting up the network is not quite as intuitive as linux and then windows comes out way at the bottom because they don't really give you any insight into how the network is configured and unless you know how to use your right click and get down into the properties menu and actually something up, you know, once you've actually found the control panel for that matter, you, you can be pretty much lost trying to set up a network and their wizard, the whole wizard structure behind windows is just a nightmare anyway. So moving on from that, since everyone sort of agreed with me, even in the chat room, which was kind of interesting, uh, we'll go on to peripheral configuration. And here we kind of flip flop on peripheral configuration because I believe windows and Macintosh come out way ahead in peripheral configuration. It is so much easier to configure peripherals in, in Windows especially. Well, Windows is because they just load. I mean, that's why it's so huge, because they load every possible driver you could ever need. And then when you plug in whatever, it, you know, the driver's there. Right. right. And that's you know, one of the reasons why it's so heavy. It's Whereas in certain versions of Linux, you either have them, for example, in Mint, or you don't, and you have to find them yourself and install them yourself. If you don't know that or you're not familiar, that could be a little bit more hellish. Right. Now, I, but I would say for an, for an overall user experience, I believe Windows comes out ahead. I mean, and yes, and it, it comes out ahead because the methodology is a poor methodology, but it's basically... We'll just we'll just anticipate that there could be any device in the universe plugged into this computer, and we'll be ready for when that happens. But that's uh, the whole philosophy of Windows, right? That's how they make it accessible to like you know alien grandmothers who have never seen a computer, right? Well, and the bad thing is, if you go out and buy a new computer, or not a new computer, but like a new camera that you need drivers for, the the driver disk that comes with it is a Windows based disk. It's not Linux based. Yeah, right. Of so, but that that's, but that's a different issue. I mean, yeah, that's just because Windows is like kind of the system all the right, way. Right, right. So you know, but it doesn't. You know, I can't. I can't go out and buy a new camera tomorrow and pull out a disc and go, "Oh, cool! Here's all my drivers." Because no, the drivers aren't on there. It's it's Windows drivers. So yeah, but you, you can have find to go. Them for yeah, you'll have to go have around to and hunt. Right, provided somebody's actually gotten around to doing them. 
Well, you know, if it's a brand new camera, they might not actually be out there yet. Right. Well, and the the nice thing about that though is if there is a driver for it, it's probably in the Linux kernel already. Some if the driver already somewhere. exists and you plug in, then you'll have the same experience you do with Windows because it will be auto loaded and everything. It's just that the support isn't as good. And sometimes the support may be there, but there may be something you have to do to tweak the kernel to actually load it properly or something like that. So I think from an ease of use perspective and from an overall user experience, the Windows is easiest to use and probably comes out ahead in that category just for its simplicity, even though if the way it achieves that simplicity is not the best way to actually run an operating system. Uh, on that, yeah, it's, spe- it's not efficient, but it's user-friendly. Right. You know, if you're running a super fast machine, you don't notice it. If you're running older hardware, that's when it becomes more problematic. Right. right. Uh, so, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're getting down to the end of the list. But the next one is one we've kind of touched on before, which is finding features. And what I mean by this is if you are if you start up an operating system and you're looking for the control panel or some specific way to configure something, for example, how easy is it to find? in your particular operating system. Now, as has already been discussed, I'd say that Windows is at the very bottom of this list because they change everything so frequently and they change everything so arbitrarily, it's almost impossible to find something until you actually know where it is or until somebody actually tells you where it is and then you know where to go. But if you were just trying to noodle around and, and get to where something is, it takes a very long time to actually find what you're looking for. Mac, I say, comes out way on top of this one because Macintosh OSs are the same. They're very consistent, and everything is always where it was in the version before. So you have no problem ever finding what you need because it's always in the same place. Linux, of course, because of its customizability, comes out in the middle because they're usually in the same place unless somebody gets a wild, hairy idea to put, say, I don't know, like the open and close windows buttons on the left instead of the right, (laughs) (laughs) then, you know, it's generally an easy experience. And if you're looking for something in particular, you can generally find, you know, figure out where it is without too much effort. If you're used to a system, see, I'm strangely with windows, I'm so used to them changing things around that I expect it. And I find that it doesn't irritate me as much as it used to, although it still irritates me. (laughs) I expect it. So the irritation level has lowered, but this is, you know, because I'm old and I've gone through every possible Windows uh, version ever made. As a new user, you wouldn't really care. If, If you're comparing from one to the other, then that's when it can become really annoying. And especially if you're not somebody who's used to playing with it, or somebody who just likes to have things. You know, you know it just enough and you know where things were. That's when it can get really, really problematic with uh, with the Windows system. And that kind of ties into the Linux system because it's so customizable, but things are never in the same place anyway. So right. I put them approximately on the same level. <laughs> uh, Symbola is actually taking an interesting take on this. He says when he wants to run different parts of the control panel for Windows, he goes to the command line, the CMD window, and actually runs them from the command line. But that's a very Linuxy way of thinking. It's not a Windowsy way of thinking. So. Yeah, and <laughs> most people wouldn't even know how to do that. Right. Yeah, the 90-year-old grandma yeah. would have no clue. <laughs> right. Well, not even the, the 50-year-old grandpa. I mean, just most people don't use command line. I mean, unless you've programmed or you grew up, you know, if, if you're approximately my age and you've been a techie, if you're in the, the 50-somethings and you've been a techie, at some point you've played with command lines. You had no choice. That's all there was in the days of basic for those of you who might know what that is but you know people who are in their 30s maybe have never even seen one you know uh, except when the windows uh, machine boots and you see the command line kind of auto executing itself yeah that's that's great if you can but most people can't right well and i'm on that category because anything that i need that uses command line 90 percent of the time russ is either talking me through it or telling me to get out of his way so he can do it because I have no clue. Get out of the way. Get off that computer. Yeah. <laughs> I have no clue. Now, I am better with Windows command line stuff. Because I actually have friends that, you know, did a lot of Windows and DOS programming. So, you know, they could, they taught me stuff in Windows, which I've probably forgotten. But, you know, the actual Linux stuff, no, no clue. So let's let's move on to another one, which is an obvious one, I guess. Uh, for those of you who are out there who, um, who do more of this than I think uh, any of the three of us do, you may have different opinions. It would be the topic of gaming. I would say, as someone who doesn't game particularly often, 
is that Windows comes out on top. Mac OS is a very close second to Windows. There may be a little bit less support for some of the games out there for Mac OS just because they're written Windows only. And Linux is probably far and away at the bottom of that list. Now, I know we've talked about gaming some and that it's coming up in the world with Steam being available for Linux and more game companies writing games for Linux. But I still, I still think this is where Linux is has pretty much fallen down, but it's not really Linux's fault. It's the fact that the game developers don't actually develop for Linux, and that is something that is changing but hasn't changed yet. I agree. A couple more uh, comparison points left. Uh, second to last, the penultimate being hardware support. And this is kind of an interesting one to me, actually, the more I think about it, because I would say that uh, starting at the bottom, we can go with macOS, because macOS supports basically nothing unless it's Apple hardware. Now, there is uh, the Hackintosh project. uh, Well, there are actually several Hackintosh projects that are moving into supporting hacked versions of macOS for Intel-based PCs. So you can run Macs or Mac software on more platforms now than you could originally, but Apple wouldn't have it that way if they could, you know, avoid it. So hardware support, hardware support for Apple supported hardware is 100%. Hardware support in general is about 1%. So next, I, and and honestly, between Windows and Linux, I want to say it's almost 50-50. 50-50. I would call it 51-49 slightly in favor of Windows only because there are still some companies out there that only produce drivers for Windows. So that being the case and that because it's closed source and some people don't offer an open source advantage and some hardware device drivers haven't been reverse engineered and written for Linux that Windows has a very slight advantage in this but you can run Linux on almost anything anymore and Linux supports almost all the peripherals out there that are supported by Windows as long as the developers are willing to write drivers or as long as someone is able to reverse engineer the code and write a driver for Linux so Windows again has a slight advantage in this category but Linux is a very close second and macOS, of course, not even in the running. The last one, which might be the most interesting to talk about of all of them, is support. Getting help for your operating system. Let's put money aside first, and then we can talk about money after. In the absence of money, just talking about the support that you get for your operating system, which one would come out on top? Windows support is available, and again, we're not talking about money here. If we, if we remove money from the equation... I would say Windows support, the actual support that you get from a Microsoft technician is actually pretty poor, is what I would would guess from my interaction and from what I've heard of other people. My experience with Apple is also poor. As far as Linux support, I would also say it ranks pretty poor. I'm not sure that there is any good support for any of the operating systems out there. I don't agree or disagree. I've actually never really... I, I support myself or ask friends who know more than me. I've never actually bothered because my general impression of most support for most products is poor. So I just kind of assume the same for computers and I just kind of always have made do myself. Well, can you comment anecdotally? I mean, like, have you heard from other people who have dealt with support? Yeah, it's usually the same thing. People don't know what they're doing or they don't get the answers they need or. Yeah. I mean, that's anecdotally in both and from personal experience, I've, I've pretty much decided that all support is terrible. Symbola in the chat room is like, Google, 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 Google is like king for support well, yeah, <laughs> across all somebody, platforms. Yeah. Somebody in the world has probably had your same problem and somebody has figured it out by now. All right. But, you know, the thing is, I know a person that used to work for a, um, a software security company, and I won't name names. And she basically said when she went to work there, they handed her a notebook with possible problems that somebody might call in with. That was what they used to help people out with. And I'm pretty sure with when you call Windows support, you have the same situation. They hire Joe Blow off the street, say, here, this is what people are, yeah, are going to call you about. And if you happen to call them and go, hey, this is the problem and it's not in their book, they're like, oh crap all right we'll we'll escalate your problem and you know she was one of the higher up techs in the building so she got all those escalations but 
she's like, this is not right. We shouldn't do this. We should offer better customer support. But, of course, you have to pay for that with things like Windows and Mac. Well, that's good. That's a nice segue because now we can look at tech support and include money. And honestly, I don't think it changes anything. <laughs> well, no, it probably doesn't. But Because paid support, in my opinion, the, that I have personally had dealings with does not change the level of support that you get. And so in, for that reason and that reason alone, Linux support is far superior. So if there's one thing we have to improve on people, let's let's work on support. And that is actually also coming up in a little bit later. That is enough of that. I thank everybody for the comments about our little uh, open source philosophy segment for tonight. We're going to move on to uh, our third segment, which is Linux in the Ham Shack, because we haven't really talked about Linux in the Ham Shack at all. And in this instance, the topic of Linux in the Ham Shack is actually talking about Linux in the Ham Shack, meaning us, our podcast, Linux in the Ham Shack, because it was brought to my attention that we were talked about by Gary Pierce, KN4AQ of Ham Radio now tv uh on a very recent episode so what i'm going to do is i'm going to play gary talking about us i've mentioned this show before uh linux in the ham shack i enjoy listening to it um i don't know nothing about linux um i use windows um a lot by the way if you don't know nothing about linux it means you know a lot about linux (laughs) (laughs) all right sorry moving on Linux people look down their noses at Windows and say, we've got everything that, that you need. You don't have video editing software that I need. Um, you don't have this wirecast system that I need. You keep pointing to things that um, will do equivalent jobs that don't. And when they're, when Linux people are being honest, they will say that it is, it is cool. It is open source. It's got a lot of advantages. But there are some things that you have to stand in your head, rub your tummy, and pat your nose to make them Yeah, we're going to talk about that comment in a minute. And, well, Windows had its problems for a long, long time. Windows has got its act together pretty well. I have some advice for you guys. Um, Russ, K5TUX, Pete, uh, VE2XPL, and Cheryl, who is not listed on this page. In their news articles, in the the news that they do at the beginning of their program, they they talk about ham radio news, and they're pretty much reading stories from ARRL, uh, from Newsline, other places that, that they can get stuff, and, and some things that are practically like press releases. And they just read them verbatim. And they have a hard time. They stumble through them. Oh, it, you know, it's cute and endearing in, in a lot of cases that they have trouble and they stumble through these. Um, but sometimes they miss the meaning. Sometimes they, in fact, the last program I was listening to, they were caught several things where, where someone missed a word and, and reversed the meaning of the story, but somebody caught it and said, no, I I think what you meant was this, which totally changes what you were saying, but you'd be better off. Um, it'd be more listenable and and more fun if you would just take the stuff out of those stories and line them up so that you understand them. And so that you can go through them a little bit easier, a little bit more fluidly. Um, and, and sound less like you are people reading things, an untrained people, you know, not like news anchors and folks that can read, that could read the phone book and make it sound like they're, they're telling you something. Professional folks can do that. I can do a little bit, but not that uh, So that that's my advice for making the show flow a little bit better. Everything else, you guys are personable. You're fun to listen to. It's um, your personality show through, except when you're trying to read this stuff and and don't have a really good idea what it is you're that you're reading we we listeners it's an audio program we listeners would get more out of it if you did that for us linux in the ham shack and it's one of those things that you can subscribe to on your um on your phone whatever it is that you get podcasts from or you can listen to it on our website okay so those are the comments from gay can for aq of ham radio now.tv on linux in the ham shack and i would say that yeah well it's it's interesting that he should point out the fact that we stumble suck. through. No, no, he didn't say we sucked exactly, <laughs> but he did say we stumble through some of our stories and we're not professional and stuff like that. Which but we we do and we're not. Well, no, that that's when Russ. We were cooking dinner earlier, and Russ was like, "I said, so what's the deal with that story? Tell me, be- you know, because I don't have time to go listen to it." And he was like, "Well, basically, he says you know that we aren't professional." I was like. Are we supposed to be? Well, see, it was interesting to me that he brought it. That was episode 215, by the way, of Ham Radio Now. 
um, that we didn't sound professional um, when we were reading stories, and that was that was a criticism of, of our show. When in episode number 212 of Ham Radio Now, he said this. Mentioned Christian Kudnick in his uh, podcast, 100 Watts on a Wire. Podcasts, any kind of media, is in the eye, or in this case, it's an audio podcast, the ear of the listener. The thing that I like is that they are just bantering, just being very casual. To me, they, they feel like I'm just eavesdropping on the conversation of a couple guys having a good conversation. Okay, well, that sounds to me like that was the best part of that show, which was a criticism of our show. Well, no, no, he likes them. He just doesn't like us. No, he said he liked us. He said he doesn't mind us. He says we're cute, but we read through our stories overall, right? And we're not right. always fluid and yada yada. In my case, and and I'll I'll gladly admit this, is just I usually kind of stumble in totally unprepared. And you know, I if think I have we all do. The stories I I do, and that's ideally what I aspire to, but I don't always have time. So, I, and Simbola is making the comment in the chat room that he's talking about the parts of the program that we are specifically reading stories. But honestly, I think stumbling through the story as part of the conversational laid-back style that we have, we don't try to hide the fact that we're reading a story. I mean, well, no, because we say we got this from X spot right. or whatever. So, and and I will personally criticize myself and our own program in saying that I had not anticipated that our first couple of segments would be just story reading, and I'm hoping that we get away from that. I would prefer that the show be 100 percent content that we come up with, like where we find topics that are of interest to users, and then we make the that we make what we present to you our own. Um, I would actually prefer that that be the case, but unfortunately. The way all of our lives are going right now, we don't have the time for that. In the well, meantime, I mean, we're putting even if in. It was our own. We have to get them somewhere. Well, it's no, not and like that's make the news, right? And we still do discuss all of the stories right. that we read. But right. but what I what I think he's saying is that we read we read verbatim, and if we're going to read verbatim, we should try and do it professionally. I'm not sure that's necessarily a legitimate complaint. I personally would like to take the stories that we find because everybody gets their stories from somewhere, like. Just like he doesn't make the news, we don't make the news either. But we could present the news. I could actually write the text of the things we present instead of using someone else's. And I would prefer to do that, which is actually the case in point of why our first story was written by me. It was a story that came from someplace else, and you, but I wrote it. it. Right. Um, and that's okay, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with reading a story or, or giving the broad lines of a story verbatim and then discussing the content. I mean, it's right. in the discussion and the opinions after. I right. Right. And I believe that, too. And I honestly think, um, he said, it does. It comes across poorly, I guess, when we read a story and read it poorly. But honestly, when we flub up on a story and discuss that, and especially when Pete like tries to make a comment and he's muted and all of that kind of crap, <laughs> I think that... I think that stuff is hilarious, and I think most of our listeners would probably agree. So I'm I'm actually not sure where this where this complaint well, is coming from. And the thing is, from, you edit out a, a lot. It's a comment. I it's a comment. It. A comment. Right. Yeah. But you edit out a lot of the major flubs. I do, unless there's unless it leads to a great comment or something. Well, right, I, right, or a nice soundbite or whatever. Right. But yep. yeah, sound bites are good. <laughs> because so. you know, Pete is the queen of bitch. So. <laughs> No, that's a lie. <laughs> we can prove it. No, he's not. He, he said king of bitch, actually. He's, he went right straight to king, not queen. So. Oh, I thought yeah. he said queen. No, so. no. no if it, queen would have been much funnier, actually. Symbol <laughs> uh, in the chat room says, Pete said it right. I don't think your bantering and conversations are an issue in his criticism. I wouldn't get too offended. He was trying to be helpful, even if he didn't exactly sound like, oh, we, trust me, no, we, not, are, not we, are, we are not offended. <laughs> We are in no way offended by his comments. So, um, but I did want to. I think he has a point. No, he does have a point. He does have a point. But if we were trying to be professional, we would try to be professional. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and honestly, if he saw any of our calendars, uh, you know, my calendar, Russ's calendar, or Pete's calendar, he'd go, "Oh God, no wonder they don't have time." Yeah, you know. I'm surprised that we do this every two weeks. I. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Here's a conversation this morning. Is today, me to Russ, today's podcast day, right? Russ is like, is it? Has it been two weeks already? Has it been two weeks already? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, no, we did it last week. I was like, no, last week was Labor Day. Yeah. It's it's podcast day. And he's like, ah. Badger. (laughs) And that was his comment as he left the room. And I was like, yeah. And that was at one o'clock this afternoon. 
<laughs> so. But that that being said, don't worry. We will continue to do the show. We are not we're not getting out of the program, no matter how busy we are. So and, and the download numbers kind of speak for themselves. I mean, we have you know we have the people who like us. We have the people who don't like us, and that's the case in any any podcast endeavor. Or anyway. Yeah. So anyway, we can stop talking about ourselves. But there was one comment in that we'll call it a criticism that I did want to address. And it was his comment about when, or about Linux users being honest about what they talk about when they talk about Linux. And he said, if a Linux user is honest and I'm paraphrasing that they would have to say that there are good features and there are things they like about it, but that there are some things that windows addresses that Linux doesn't. I agree on the surface with that comment because there are some things Windows can do, and he cited some of his hardware platforms that only have drivers for Windows. If we as Linux users are honest, we have to say, well, he must use Windows for that purpose. But that belies the fact that the reason he has to use Windows is that the company that wrote the software that powers his hardware made the arbitrary decision to only support Windows. So it's not the fault of Linux that he can't use his whatever piece of hardware, I believe it was some of his broadcasting equipment, only on Windows. It's the fault of the manufacturer. And he also said that, you know, you try and cite alternatives to a Windows application that does the same thing, but they fall flat. Again, I would say that is a fault of the developer of that piece of software or a lack of willingness on the part of the developer to release the code to allow someone else to do the legwork and the heavy lifting to make that a viable Linux option, not the fault of Linux itself. So I still think that Linux as an open platform speaks for itself as being better in every way, philosophically and otherwise, than Windows. And where it falls down is not Linux's fault. It's the fault of the people who don't want to support Linux in its effort to be a better operating system. I think on the surface of it, you could, you might think that his argument was sound, but I think there's a fallacy behind it. And I hopefully articulated my thoughts on what that fallacy is. Before we get to our uh, last couple of segments, I did want to bring up one more thing, and I'm not sure how much of this I really want to talk about. In light of some information we got today, we should probably talk about it some more. We talked about Matt Williams, who's otherwise known as Lord Drakenblut. He's uh, starting a project called OpenFosTraining.com. And we have talked about uh, how poor all operating systems software support is right now. Matt and some friends of his are uh, trying to do something about that. They're setting up a site to give better support, or what he hopes to be better support, to the open source community for open source software. I kind of gather he's hoping to create a database and a clearinghouse for decent software support and a place to go where if you're having issues, that is actually a more consolidated way to find information than perhaps going to Google or something like that, specifically for open source. It sounds like a really interesting project. And we found out today, well, I mean, most of us have known for some time that, that Matt has had some extraordinarily serious health problems. Things are not looking up right now. So, we would like to encourage people to get behind this project in whatever way they can subscribe to it, donate to it. If there is any way you can help this project out, please do that. It's uh, one of his life goals. You know, we really want to encourage people to, to get behind it. If they can, uh, we'll certainly do whatever we can here. Open training.com is where you find out the information and the, uh, the donation pages will be at, uh indiegogo you'd probably just be able to search for it i don't i don't have any of that handy so anyway moving on as you heard in the the pat the last segment we uh or gary was talking about a new amateur radio podcast done by a new ham uh and his uh, friend i didn't get if it was a friend wife girlfriend or whatever but anyway uh it was a podcast called 100 watts and a wire which i haven't got a chance to listen to yet I wonder if it's about ham radio. Yes, it, might it is. Be. Yes, I believe. I believe it might be. Anyway, you can check that out at 100wattsandawire.com. That's the number 100wattsandawire.com. So if you're a listener of this show, maybe you should go out and check that show. We're at Woo! Cheryl's Recipe Corner. This time we're cooking chicken schnitzel. Ah, uh, careful. Yeah, I was careful. <laughs> I was careful. Chicken it, it was- sh- 
Schnitzel. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> I know, family friendly show or something, <laughs> something. like that. <laughs> We're nowhere, nowhere near family friendly. <laughs> That's right. So, anyway, this is a uh, chicken version of the very famous veal schnitzel or, you know, pork schnitzel, whichever one you prefer. Crusty little cutlets uh, served with wedges of tart lemon to kind of spritz over your chicken. You can add capers and more butter to the pan after you're done cooking this to make a nice sauce to go over it. The recipe calls for chicken cutlets. If you can't find those, get you a boneless, skinless chicken breast and cut that puppy up and pounded to death don't no cut puppies up chicken breasts chicken Chicken breasts breasts. yeah Yeah. sorry 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 (laughs) puppies are tender though puppies are tender yeah just like veal and the little calves tiny little baby uh, corn-fed baby calves yeah Yeah. they're they're very tasty (laughs) but the recipe is great anything called schnitzel better be very tasty all right so check out that recipe it will be in the show notes and we're down to the wire here folks uh, down to uh, 99 watts in a wire. 99 watts in a wire on the wall, 99 watts in a wire. So Don't, don't <laughs> go there. Just, just don't. Okay, I won't go there. Social media roundup. Let's go. Rock, rock it out. So this month in our subscriptions, we have Jeremy Hall, Scott Pettigrew, Bill Arcand, and Michael Connolly, and then we added Daryl Owen, Jason Mar- Marinaro, and Dylan Angle. Um, um, those are donations, by the way. Oh, yeah, sorry. Those are paid subscribers. Paid subscribers, excuse yes. me. Woo, so they Woo, support our show. Thank money. you very much, guys. Yay, thank <laughs> you. So anyway, uh, Facebook, Olaf Abraham, David Triu, Rode Barrera, and Dylan Angle. Google Plus was Seth Dedman and Ham and Shortwave Radio. Twitter was at Podcast Notes and at Dan70 underscore Dan. Nobody jumped on on YouTube or mailing list or merchandise sales. Boo. Boo. <laughs> Boo. We never- Muck. Filth. Boo. <laughs> you had love in your hands and you treated it like garbage. Sorry. Honey, I think I overheard that yesterday at the room <laughs> fair. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it was a Princess Bride flashback, by the way, for anyone who's not familiar with those lines. Yeah. So... And back to movies on the ham shack. Yep. It always comes back to movies in the yeah. ham shack. So. And Ted says he loves veal piccata. Ooh, veal piccata. That's probably pretty yep. good. And Symbola said he was away taking it. Badger. That is not what he said. <laughs> that is what he said. Yeah. Well, not exactly what he yeah, said. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. I mean, I was paraphrasing, but only slightly. Uh-huh. Anyway, I believe that is the end of our program. Yay. <laughs> Don't yay that. Come on. But Pete wants to go to bed. I want to go to bed. Well, let's get on out of here then. I don't know what we're waiting for. The music, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, there it is. So this is Russ, K5TUX, telling you you can become an LHS ambassador. Go ahead and visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby Linux Con or HamFest. And I believe we are going to have representation at uh, the Ohio Linux Fest coming up very soon. So that should be cool. We love feedback here at the program. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter. Or leave a voicemail at 1909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. Visit our IRC channel hashtag LHS podcast on Freenode and subscribe to our mailing list. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts can be purchased at cafepress.com slash LHS podcast. You can also help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right hand column of the home page. You can listen to us live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Tuesday at 0100 Zulu in the summer, 0200 Zulu in the winter. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. But check out our website at lhspodcast.info for everything you ever wanted to know about the show. So thank you one and all to all of our listeners, past, present, and future. For checking out Linux in the Ham Shack, episode number 154. And uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks to do it all again. So, for Cheryl sitting across from me. Bye. And for Pete. 
VE2XPL up in Montreal. Who's probably muted. Oh, he wasn't muted. No, he he wasn't there. We'll see you all next time. Bye. fun shooting guns in the house.